at no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Welcome to our show today. I'm your host, Doug Crow, for the author of Brand Show. And we've got lots of rational thoughts with our guest today, but you never know. Um, we'll find out. I'm sure she's good. Um, she's known as the academic entrepreneur, a unique and dynamic speaker who intensely connects with her audience, having one foot in academia and the other foot in business and entrepreneurial space. Her goal is to offer the audience pearls of wisdom. I hope we get all of those today. And the pearls that we can use tomorrow in their personal professional life. So it's not enough to know, she says, the expectation is for participants to take action and do it. So she's been on her journey to connect those dots to provide inspiration, knowledge, and counsel to move forward effectively. She's known globally for her writing on leadership and failure, as well as critical and refractive thinking, publishing more than 52 times, 26 written awards. She's no slouch to that world. So welcome to the show today, Dr. Cheryl Lentz. Cheryl, how are you today? I'm wonderful, Doug. So nice to be here. I appreciate it very much. Glad to hear it. So before we get started, I want to let the readers or listeners know why they should listen to us today or you. Well, part of what I talk about is the F word that's going to change their life. And that F word, I know what they're Don't Don't say what it is. This is the F word that's going to change your life, folks. So stick around. We're going to get to the F word in just a few minutes. Before we do, You've got an amazing background here. So 26 writing awards. Tell me about that. Well, I started a publishing company about 15 years ago, and it was in response to being a college professor, have been 23 years now, and what founded um, publishing for academics. And Mm -hmm. just get me mad, and you have the, that's the way we've always done it. I got mad enough to start a company, and I changed the publishing model for academics. And so this is something that... I tend to change the rules. I have a leadership degree, a doctorate in leadership, and that's where when you don't find the rules you like, you change them to what is needed, and that's what we did. So. Change the game. So mm-hmm. I'm curious about this because you know we do do a lot of academic books, but a couple of our clients come in with their PhDs, wanting to make their books very academic, and I'm like, we do story-based stuff in our world. What was the old model of academic publishing, and what did you do to change it? Well, the old model was when you publish in a peer-reviewed journal, for example, which is what uh, we academics do, the journal tends to own your copyright. And I sat there asking them going, it took me four and a half years to earn my doctorate and not to mention thousands of dollars. And now you want me to publish in the very first time you want me to give it away because they own it and they profit from it. I only get the byline. And I said, not this mama's baby girl. Yeah. And so when I started my publishing company, what I do is I allow them uh, to own their own copyright. I will actually teach it to how to provide it on the U.S. copyright website. It costs you 65 bucks, one and done. And then I will teach you that I ask for distribution rights because I don't want it just one place. I want it everywhere. And that's the yeah. whole point. It's stuck in academia or in any hollowed halls anywhere. I want it wide as we can get it. And so that's what I changed. Outstanding. You're still doing that, right? I absolutely our newest one. We're on volume 23 that will actually come out. It's called The Refractive Thinker. It is the trademark series just for doctoral scholars. And it will come out sometime in April. And this one's on criminal justice. So we're going to play the legal game for a little bit in this volume. Okay, I love it. Well, when we're done the show today, stick around. I'm going to talk about that because I'm working on something I could definitely use your help with that. So absolutely. It's not about me. It's about you. Well, <laughs> you're um professor, you're an author, a publisher. Um, what does what makes Cheryl uh, tick? What's your what's your passion here? 
My passion is failure. And here's really kind of interesting how it happened is during my undergraduate, I was actually a musician to be. And I was at the University of Illinois, and I'm the only one to have been kicked out of the classical organ program. And my professor one day walked into my office and said, you're done. And I had no warning. I've been playing since I was five years old. But here's what happened is I turned my back on music, walked out of that practice room and never looked back. But I have the heart of a musician and I have always been a musician. Unfortunately, when I failed the first time, I walked away because someone in a position of authority told me I wasn't good enough. Now, to be fair, I was he was training Olympians, people that would have been playing at Notre Dame or, you know, Holy Name Cathedral or something there. I wasn't as good as I wasn't yeah. as good as they were. But that didn't mean that I wasn't going to play at all. And quite frankly, that was what my TED talk was about, is the ability to it. say what happens when you fail the first time. And for 30 years, I didn't play. Wow. And that was shocking. And yeah. it was COVID that kind of brought me out of this when a baby grand piano found me and changed my world to put oh, me nice. back on track for where I was always supposed to be. Because a musician is not what you do. It's who you are. And that was something that I wish I would have known that back in college and had a mentor who say, snap out of it. There's always yeah. something you can do. But a lot of those degrees have nothing to do with music. And that was the sad part. And so now I'm looking for ways to reintegrate music as part of my heart and my purpose, in addition to everything wow. else that I do. Pretty oh, my gosh. So much, so much value there. I, number one, thank you. I'm so glad you, uh, you know, came around. Um, I was I was very fortunate. I had a, um, a guidance counselor in, in high school who told me your grades aren't good enough to apply to Northwestern, don't bother. And um, my guidance counselor said this, right? So fortunately my mother's like, oh no, you're applying, you know? And I I got in. And well, my parents then, were relieved that I didn't get in because they were too afraid I couldn't make it as a musician because of all the out of broke musician stories. So they were relieved. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I've, I've done some uh, youth leadership and they get the same thing. Oh, you made, don't forget to get your CPA as a backup, things like that for right, people in the right, arts, right. right? It's very, very common. Um, but I've got a professional musician as a nephew who does a, you know, uh, plays clarinet for a living, right? So it's it, oh. it can be it can be done, but yeah, he, you know, practices four hours a day and all that. Um, so that's that's great that you um are coming back to it. Um, during those thirty years where you were uh, a closet musician and doing all this <laughs> other brainiac stuff, did you? Was there ever a, a twinge of regret or doubt or anything on that? Oh, or? of course. Yeah. Of course. And I think this is where, and I'm going to go a little woo-woo on you because this is hard Fine. because I've got the academic part of me. I've got the professional researcher. Show me before you can prove it to me, right? Yeah. But all of a sudden, about halfway through, um, all of a sudden, I got the universe always sends you messages and I'm a firm believer we have purpose. And yeah. my professor did me a service in one sense that apparently I was had to do other things. And I have been very well accomplished. I've had an amazing career. I am very grateful. But at some point in life, that energy stays in our body. Yeah. That energy just gets in there and it starts annoying us. And it starts like a pearl in an oyster. Yeah. And I would get messages and I would have these weird things happen and I would discount them. And then finally, they got to the point that my system had to be rebooted, rebooted completely. I ended up in a wheelchair for nine months. Oh I was at the Mayo Clinic. They couldn't figure it out. I'm sitting here, you know, and, and nothing is coming up. It's all these weird, weird symptoms. Yeah. And I am convinced it was the energy going, all right, do I have your attention? I had to bring you to your knees to realize that, yeah, this wasn't all you were supposed to do. Yeah, those other things really good. You did very yeah. well. Kudos. Yeah. Congratulations. But there's more. 
and you can't turn your back on who you are. And as soon yeah. as that started, music started to heal me. And I'll tell you, I got out of that chair. I now kayak, I bike, I do a lot of things. I'm not completely, uh, yeah. but I am able to do things that people would never, and no one ever knew because I was too embarrassed yeah. to tell them going, what is going on and what is wrong with me? And what was wrong is I wasn't living my purpose or my complete purpose. Cause none of what I've done wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah, music right. should have already always been along for the ride. And now it's back. And I'm interested to find out what's going to happen next because yeah. it's really twists and turns. This is the third conversation in 24 hours that is exactly aligned with this with this topic. This is so fortuitous. Let me share you one share with you one of them. A guy that I really respect. He's actually my mentor, does a very, very large business. And he's telling me every time he does a dip and they've been severe, um, he's always come back twice as good, right? So that's the whole arc thing of the failure, which is We'll right. get that in a second. Um, and I said, okay, great. So you've you know lost a million, made two, you know, things going physically on death's door in the ICU, 50% chance of live of living, you know, came out of that. You know, everything's I said, great. Where did it come from? Because now that you've done it multiple times, it's like, okay, well, here it comes. You know, here's the next big, you know, problem or challenge, and I'm gonna get through it. It's you know, I know the blessings there somehow. But what about the first time? How did that Oh, it was, it was, I just, I just knew it was I'm like, okay, well that's, that's, that's not nurture. That's nature. You were, that was part of you. How do you help other people, which you're going to talk about in a second, understand that during those dark moments, which we've all had, mine lasted nine months when I had a, a lot of crap happening to me. And then the epiphany is, okay, I gotta, I gotta, I'm alive. I better keep going. Um, how do you get people out of that wallowing state to, to move into the positive part. Is that what your book is about? The F word? Partially. Um, the, the actual title of the book is called Failure Has No Alibi. And that is not a title I can take credit for. That's strictly Napoleon Hill. And I am a Napoleon Hill graduate, disciple, you nice. name it, that I believe yeah. in that. It's the buck stops with me. And yep. the point is you have choices and choices have consequences and you mm. can wallow. That is your choice. The question right. is, how long do you choose to stay there? And unfortunately for me, it took me 30 years to correct a mistake. But I'm fortunate because some people never have that opportunity. Right. Yeah. And the fact that it took me however long it did. Yeah, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed just to let you know I eventually get there. But part of that is really looking at listening to what the universe is telling you, because I can't take a lot of credit for it. I was motivated when the universe brought me to my knees, because then right. it's like, now I have your attention. Let's understand what happened. And it just kind of poured out of me. And when the music came back, it was yeah. like, wow, I have a pair of red shoes. They're not in my office or the other room that remind me of Dorothy. And the fact that we've always had the answers, they've always been inside of us. The question right. is, we have to go on the difficult journey. It can never be easy, right? Yep. And to be able to discover going, well, what do you want to do? And I think part of this was deciding who do you want to be when you grow up? And I do an exercise with my students called the legacy exercise. And yeah. I did it with me yep. during my master's, my undergrad, my docs, all the credentials I've got. And part of it was like, what do you want to leave behind in the world? I didn't want the world to see me in a wheelchair. I didn't want the world to see me when I was done. I wanted the world to see me as my contribution. And the contribution, yes, are some of the credentials, but it's more about not, what did I do with them? That's the first part. I earned them. Right, but they right. were a gateway to the doing part. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of folks, they go to school and they do what they're expected to do. I'm like, well, what did you do to change the world? I changed the publishing model. I'm now changing you know, a little bit of the music, trying to get back into it so that I can really fulfill my purpose. And it's amazing because part of my purpose is in service to others. 
Yeah. And that is the part that no matter what I do, it's always Zig Ziglar, right? You always help someone else get what they want that's before right. you end up getting what you want. That's and right. so it was just a humbling experience yeah. to be able to know that this is, but it all came through failure. And it was a point of, well, you can, success is simply getting up one more time than you got knocked down. And I got down the, the first time and I stayed down for 30 years. Yeah. Eventually I got back up. And, and it's very interesting because when I, asked a friend of mine and says, well, you did this nice little book, right? We're going to hold you accountable. How are you going to fix that? I'm like, fix what? How can I fix that? She goes, you talk about everybody fixing your shapes. You go get your organ shoes. You go find somebody to allow you to see. And that's exactly what I did in November or um, a year ago, November. And I asked the music director and he says, yes, but the day that I was allowed to find out if I still had anything left in the old fingers and digits, was Valentine's Day. I got to play at my church, the pipe organ, and fell back in love with my organ, oh. my music, and me. I'm crying in church, trying to be able to understand for 30 years, I had not played. I still can't do it. <laughs> and it was painful. But to realize that in that moment, it didn't matter how good I was. In yeah. that moment, it mattered that I stood up to and had the courage to face a fear that I had mm. had for 30 years. And I still got a little magic in these fingers. And it's pretty wow. cool. The no, Valentine's Day. Oh yeah, this is not not this week. Last year? Oh no, last year okay. Valentine's Day. So I'm curious about this. I guess I go down. The, so you hadn't touched an organ for 30 years. Nope. Did you practice on a, any keyboard or something? Well, it's kind of interesting. Is that November of 2019? A family interviewed me. By the way, interviewed me for the honor and privilege of buying their baby grand piano. They had okay. had it in the family for 30 years. I've been looking one for years, couldn't find right. one. This house I bought actually had two of them in there. Neither one of them stayed. Oh, so okay. here are the messages the universe was saying. Every house I looked at had a baby grand piano. I thought it was odd. I noticed it. Not one of them was the house I bought. Years later, that piano now sits in my great room. And that and piano and, and organ are, are very different techniques, yeah, by the way. They're still keyboards. Yeah. But and I couldn't quite put metal. a pipe organ yeah. in my living room. So the, the baby grand was the best I could do. And it's a specific kind of baby grand. It's a petite baby grand because my great room is not enough for a six feet Steinway, right? It's a 4.3. Yeah. But the fact is music found me and they mm -hmm. interviewed me and allowed me to purchase. And so it was just a matter of I that piano now sits and that's what got me through COVID and that's where I start. But I'll tell you the first time I sat in front of it, I couldn't play it because it was painful and oh. it was a reminder wow. of all that stuff. And I'm not as good as I once was. I mean, you know, when you used to practice eight hours a day and it's been 30 years, yeah. but I now play and I play for me. And it's just amazing right. that I've, I've gotten better. I'm getting better quickly because I can get some of the chops back, yeah. but it's just a matter. I smile now every time I play and every clunker I play to know that music is back and I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I honestly have no idea, but the fact yeah. is, I am now doing more with thing and music keeps finding and I listen to every message the universe has to say. Absolutely. I love the amazing? fact that you're an <laughs> academic with a woo-woo bent. That's a great combo platter. I love I'll it. tell you, nobody's more surprised than me. I'm a researcher and I'm all about prove it, prove it. And I'm like, I can only tell you my experience, but I am out of a wheelchair playing the piano and doing amazing yeah. things because music healed me from the inside out because I right. allowed it to. I took yeah. the chance and had the courage to do it. I totally get it. I'm still impressed that you, after not touching an organ, because you know it's got like a, a couple dozen pedals on. It's not like, not oh like yeah, I mean you've piano. got two, There's... two in each hand, and then you've got one in your feet. And to try it, I had to get special shoes because I had given away everything when I was back in college. Yeah. I said, you don't want me, I'm done. And so now I had to get it back. I had to be able to, you know, get some things that I could put on there. I just yeah. wanted to know, and 
it was clunker, but the music director actually came in and I didn't realize he was listening. Yeah. But there is such power. There is such power and magic in one of those pipe organs. And there aren't yeah. very many, many of us who can do this. And right. so when I had that power, I just remember sitting, I can still feel it now, the vibration. It was just like, oh, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> it was awesome. Nice. Oh, that is amazing. Wow. So, and so when did you when did you publish this this last book of yours, the, the failure one? Uh, failure Had No Alibi was with my TED Talk. So this was during COVID, October of 2020. I took the yeah. New York stage. And that was very mm -hmm. interesting because this is something that we couldn't go to New York because of the quarantine. There were three right. of us here in Chicago. So what they did is they built the stage in Chicago for us. Oh, nice. And there were three of us. It was actually in Batavia, Illinois. Somebody, it was like one of the opera um, centers that they had. And I performed to nobody <laughs> it was like a 2000 person opera house it was the yeah. producer and me on stage and i'm used to talking to a crowd there's nobody there i'm on the red dot they did all of the stuff and they remoted us in so we didn't have just a you know zoom type of experience oh, yeah. that many no we had the red dot on yeah, stage but they, it gives yeah. the impression there were people in the audience and there wasn't and that's i think harder i feed oh, off the audience you know and i'm having harder. to create that to be able to move, put that magic in there and to be on stage with Ted, it yeah. was magical. And so yeah. the fact that you get New York the first time out took me 10 years to do that. So yeah. I'm very proud of, but that's the book came out the right. same day my Ted talk did. So that's, wow. that was the whole, but it talks yeah. about my failure. Every chapter has a, you wanna know what I did? Here's what I did, but I think I have to go and write the sequel because that was not, they're not aware of what I did last year to be able yes, to think that's right. another TED talk saying, guess how I fixed it. <laughs> as well. I love that. So what are some of the um, the lessons inside this? Why well, share just a couple of bullet points for people in the last few minutes here of uh, about failure and, and uh, having not no alibi there. Part of this is accountability and mm. courage because you're the only one that knows you were the one that was there. And mm -hmm. what do you want to be known with? And it really took my breath away when one of my colleagues really pulled me on the carpet. It's like, you tell everyone else to do this. How are you going to fix this? And I had never had any intention to because I was told I was done. I listened. And she says, no, 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 no. You're not letting yourself off the hook. She goes, read right. your own book. I'm like, so it took me an extra three months to get the shoes, to get the stuff and the courage to talk to several of the churches around here. And it's funny because that music director is no longer at that church. So I no longer have privileges. But oh. isn't it amazing that person were in the right place at the right time oh. on Valentine's Day? I just still get chills going, not the day before, not the day, Valentine's Day. Yeah. That I get to be able to make that. And I think part yeah. of that is resiliency, persistence, and never giving up on your dream. And that is the oh. hardest part because sometimes we'll have the be our dreams beaten out of us. And we're just told yes. you're not good enough, you're not whatever. And we're dumb enough to believe it and internalize it. And I did the first time. So I had to really get out out of my headspace and just say, yeah. well, let's see what you got and let's try. Right. And I am all about, I'd rather go down in a ball of flames knowing I tried than never to have done it at right. all. And so the fact is, I don't think failure is the ability that I'm never gonna play at Notre Dame. I'm never gonna be that dream that I originally had, but the dream still lives in me with having the music because I was not, I was courageous enough not to let it die because it was, it was painful. Yeah. It still is sometimes because I remember and I'm still not a church organist yet. I don't know what God wants to do with that yet. But the fact is, knowing that I can still play is just it is, it is wonderful. You know, I, I keep thinking about it. I do a lot of youth leadership volunteer work. And I, I hear these kids talk. Um, the younger they are, they haven't had any failures yet. So mm. they're, I can be Batman. I can, be, I can do anything you want. And then something <laughs> happens along the way where, oh, you know, 
lower your sights, be conservative, be safe, all these things that quash. That's why dreams. I teach failure now. It's because every boss I've ever had, every dean I've ever had, I scare the heck out of them. They're like, you want to do what? Come again. I want to teach them how to fail so that they don't do what I do is hit that wall the first time and walk away. And I put right. it in that box. I put it in the back of my shelf and said, all right, I'm done. What I could have done is learn how to process that failure, which is what I do now. I've been, I have failed in every major area of my life and sometimes yeah. twice, <laughs> but now I know how, and I'd like to think I do it with grace and elegance. Sometimes I'm just stubborn as hell, but I'm not letting someone else, including myself, stop my dream. Especially yourself. Cause that's, that's yep. the last, that's the buck stops, right? Yep. Exactly. Outstanding. Exactly. Cheryl, do you have a, um, is a book is called uh, failure has no alibi. Correct. Okay. Uh, you have a copy of it handy there or not? No, you can talk about. No, um, I okay. don't. But I uh, have some. I have my children's book that I did uh, several <laughs> okay. years ago. Which is we'll put your links down here in the chat below on the interview here. So if you want to get Cheryl's book, Failure Has No Alibi, I highly recommend it. The link down here you can be available on Amazon, I'm sure, or wherever they want to get it on your website. Check it out and uh, make sure you don't create alibis for your own dreams. So you can learn from Cheryl, who um, didn't waste 30 years, but certainly um, used those 30 years to advantage. Uh, for serving her purpose now, and I'm so glad you're out of a wheelchair and playing that organ. That's great. Congratulations to you. Any last words of wisdom or advice for our, our viewers today? I believe that all the power we have is just like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. You have all the answers you seek already inside you. Just have the courage to listen. It's really that simple. It's not easy. It can yep. be sometimes painful. But let that inner stillness guide you, and your inner soul knows what it needs to do. Just mm -hmm. let it. Truer words that have ever been spoken, Cheryl. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being on the show today. You betcha. Thank you so much. You bet. You bet. And that concludes the Author Brand Show. Your host, Doug Crow, and the uh, beautiful and lovely and brilliant Cheryl Lentz. Make sure you check out her book. Click below on the show notes and get her book. And uh, if you didn't take notes, you can get those as well here. Thanks so much and have a great day.